tiny in all that air. The Philip Larkin Society Podcast. Hello and welcome to Tiny in All That Air, the Philip Larkin Society podcast. My name is Lynn Lockwood. This episode features arts manager, writer, literary tour guide and PLS member Hugh Odlin-Smee and old friend of the podcast, Philip Pullen. It was recorded via Zoom with me in Sheffield and Phil and Hugh in the centre of Belfast. Phil was visiting Belfast as part of his centenary lecture tour and was taking part in the Belfast International Arts Festival. Some of you may be aware that Phil's talk had to be cut short on the night as he actually wasn't very well at all. But if you want to hear the talk, it's now on the Belfast International Arts Festival YouTube account and the link to that is in today's podcast show notes as well as available via the Society website. Hugh and Phil talk us through the literary heritage that Belfast enjoys and consider Larkin's life in Belfast between 1950 and 1955 and the huge impact this had on his writing. Party member, aren't you? I am a Larkin. Yeah. How are you? Good. Have you been to Hull? Uh, I've been to Hull. Yes, I was there when I was a child, and then oh. I was there was there for a conference in 2017 during the City of Culture. Wandered about and got away from the conference and, and sort of wandered around the old haunts and all that sort of stuff. And my sister was there in the early 80s. At um, she did Southeast Asian studies there, so she knew she remembered when Larkin was there and mm. things. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I loved Hull. I like liminal spaces. Yeah. I like places. Growing up in Belfast, you're a bit away from things, yeah. and so uh, there's, there's definitely a sim- sort of uh, a sympathy between the two places. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly out on a limb, mm-hmm. slightly difficult to get to, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. And um, I mean, obviously, very different in many ways, but but also that sort of shipping and being by the sea. And the, I mean, you know, when Larkin lived in Belfast, the docks would have been, you know, a huge part of, of life here. Uh, and very, very developed, and you know, it would have been a major part of the industry here and things like that. And Hull obviously is the same. So, mm. um, so the, you know, even just walking around Hull when I was there until 2017, you can get a sense of why he, uh, why the two places worked for him. Yeah, mm. and and how different they are from Leicester. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and it's inter- it is interesting you saying that, Hugh, because I want you know, my thought was it feels a bit like Hull coming here, yeah. you know, and. Um, I just wondered whether it would feel that that way from the inside as much as anything, and it, and it clearly does. Yeah, I, th- I think definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Belfast is a capital city and, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. There's a bit more razzmatazz, yeah. I suppose, but um, but there was definitely a feeling and an air um, in the place as well. You know, um, I mean, I always find the east coast of England really interesting in terms of its proximity to Europe as well. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of. Holland is just over there, and, and and there's a kind of sense of a of a wider vista mm. and an older sort of thing. My name uh, is um, Smee is a derivation of Smith, but Odling is um, a, a Swedish word for farmer. And so uh, a lot there's a village in Lincolnshire which has uh, just lots and lots of Odlings. Oh. Um, I can't know where 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 it is exactly in Lincolnshire, but uh, but so so the east coast of England is kind of an, an interesting place to me just for, yes. in terms of family connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my um, my mum and my auntie were born in Hull, and we went up last Sunday. Uh, we mm. took my auntie lives in Orlando now, and we took her over. She was born there in 1960. She hadn't been back since the family left in 1963. Wow. Um, <laughs> she was really impressed with how beautiful it looked. Mm. Um, but my mum was born there and lived there till about 19, yeah, till about 1963 when the family left. And she was telling me about um, the pier, the old pier. And we stood outside the Minerva pub where she said, oh, you could see the horses being washed here. Yes. And um, just reading um, love, you know, the, the motion book, and uh, there's a reference to that. Uh, Jean Hartley talking about when she could remember taking the kids down to walk around the, the front in Hull and mm. to the, the part where the, the horses would have been washed when they were still part of the sort of transport system mm-hmm. um, in the middle of Hull, just mid-1950s when Larkin was, was arriving in Hull. Yeah, it was interesting you say that um, in the context of the ferry and the you know that aspect of Hull is. Um, I brought my copy of A Rumoured City with me. Um, this this yeah, yeah. we had a, a Larkin One Hundred event on Thursday night in in Hull, which was celebrating the fortieth anniversary of A Rumoured City. Yeah, being published, you know, with all those new Hull poets uh, at that time, and Larkin wrote the preface to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Two of them were there. Uh, one, one was Sean O'Brien, yeah. um, and the other one was Peter Dis- Didsbury, who's who was from Hull. And Peter talked about going across on the ferry, you know, from the Minerva. You yeah, Minerva, yeah. And yeah. you went over there to drink. was day out where you ended up drinking. We're trying mm. to work out where we would drink at the other the other side when you got to New Holland, but no. <laughs> part of the whole experience, obviously. Yeah up to the Humber Bridge being there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it's quite interesting, uh, you know, Belfast and, and, and the relationship between Larkin. Um, I mean, we're delighted to do this event as part of Larkin 100. So this is um, an event on the Belfast International Arts Festival. Yeah. Uh, which happened, which started after Larkin's time in Belfast, but yeah. it's a very important and key kind of um, cultural part of the of the city's life. And um, uh, so we're, um, we're the, the event is actually going to take pl- place in what's now called One Elmwood, which is the, what it was called the Students' Union from the 1960s. Mm. Previous to that was Queen's Chambers, which was the building where Larkin first lived when yeah. he came to Belfast. So we're going to do yeah. the event actually in the attic room. That's so exciting. Uh, or essentially not, not <laughs> far away from where the attic room would have been. Um, I, I don't want to get too into spatial kind of <laughs> references. Like that. Um, but one of the reasons that I, sort of, I took, this, you know, t- took an involvement in this is because when when I was growing up, the, the history of Larkin and Belfast wasn't particularly well known. Mm. Um, the first time really I knew about it was I, I loved Larkin's poetry and mm. I, I sort of knew that he had, he had a connection with Belfast in some way. And obviously I'd read Importance of Elsewhere and things, but um, I went to see Andrew Motion, just the, the book that you, you're holding, um, mm. to see him uh, do an event in the just across the road in the English uh, lecture hall there. And uh, he spoke about Larkin having found his voice here, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it sort of it really interested me that this sort of I think um, anyone who know, who's ever read any of Brian Moore or Brian Moore's novels about Belfast mm-hmm. will know that we have a particularly um, a jaundiced view of our own home city. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so the idea of this sort of internationally renowned poet. Um, having a, a creating his voice here or, or finding yeah. his voice here was, was really fascinating to yeah. me um and then later on i worked at the Lindenhall library for a long time and uh, john boyd 
was a particular collection that I looked after there. Uh, and Boyd was the BBC producer um, who brought Larkin in to record some of his poetry yes. and things like that when, yeah. he, when he was here. I think yeah. first listening was the series or something. Yeah, like that, was there was it? something. There was one called uh, "The Arts in Ulster." I yeah, think, yeah, that yeah. He did in uh, around about nineteen fifty-two or three. Yeah, that was very right, first right. program. Yeah. That, and John Hewitt was on that program yeah, as okay. well. Yeah, Well, Hewitt and Boyd and and all that sort of milieu was very mm. very important in terms of the the cultural life here. And it just always intrigued me that Larkin was here and in amongst that. The most English of poets, you, yeah. you know, to, to, to a lot of people, certainly from yeah. outside England. Yeah. Um, and so that he had this life here in Belfast really fascinated me. And it was always fascinated with me. Uh, and so we're delighted that uh, we can join up with the, the, the Philip Larkin Society and do this event as well. So not only is Philip going to give us a, a, a kind of a rundown on Larkin's life in Belfast, but Leon Chaplin and Stephen Sexton, are going to read yeah. as part of the event as well. So it's it, it's going to be very exciting. I'm really excited, mm. and, and Lynn, Lynn will know this because we've talked about it in the Larkin Society for, for years, really, haven't mm. we? Mm. We, I mean, as far as Larkin 100 is concerned, we always wanted to get we wanted to get this sort of set of happenings in places that were associated with Larkin right across the country, and we got as far as Sark. So that was the southernest <laughs> point. But Belfast was, uh, I think, was number one on the list mm. for all sorts of reasons. The reasons that Hughes just outlined, really, mm. in terms of the significance of this place for Larkin's poetry and, as mm. you say, finding his voice. Mm. Um, but also because there's been, I, as far as I can see, there's been very little done over here. Very, there is a, there is a blue plaque up to yeah. him on the side of the main library, um, yeah. which is still there. Um, and he's just poet and sub-librarian, which is a kind of quite a nice way of describing yeah. it. Um, <laughs> But he, um, but actually, in terms of the sort of the, the knowledge of his life here and things like that, it's 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 quite rare. I mean, obviously, there's a generation of poets that came after Larkin who yeah. became internationally famous. Obviously, Seamus Heaney being the most mm, interesting mm. one, but also Derek Mahon, mm. Michael Longley, who's still alive and still living in Belfast, um, and uh, well, um, Hewitt, obviously. And so, it's interesting that that Larkin knew Hewitt, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that there was a connection there, and Larkin saw himself as a poet who wanted to be in that milieu mm. um, i was reading the letters again yeah. today and there's a hilarious um meeting yes. with uh forest breed yes, right. um uh, and, and ian forster, uh, ian For ian forster yeah. um uh at reed's house which yeah. is at the, in the east of the city way up um on the top of the belmont road there yeah and uh, you know Larkin's jaundiced view of the kind of the cultural milieu here as well is very, <laughs> very interesting. It's a very amusing description, isn't it? It is. Yeah, Ian Forster to, to Monica, mm. it gives a different one to to Eva, his mother, actually, where yeah. it's much more. He was saying, "I was honoured to meet Ian Forster," which is a bit different. <laughs> what he told Monica. Well, yeah, he's, he's slightly more a, a scance with her. I mean, there was there was a scene here in the 1950s. There were certainly there were writers around. There was um, obviously John Hewitt, I've mentioned, uh, was the kind of father of everything here before, ironically, he went to Coventry. Yeah. Um, but he, um, uh, you know, there was um, there was a place called Campbell's Cafe, which I don't see any mention of in the letters, but was down the centre of town, which is where they would all meet. So you would have artists um, like uh, uh, George and Mercy McCann. Uh, Louis McNeese obviously was around yeah. when he was home. Um, you had uh, Joseph Tomaldy, the writer and actor. Um, you had um, obviously uh, um, uh, people like Roy McFadden, uh, uh, John Davidson. There were all sorts of figures around who obviously Larkin had an entree to as well yeah. and, and was part of the cultural life here. That's very new. 
uh, and to and to find that out and to sort of make those connections is really really interesting. Um, uh, you know that he, that he was able to recognise that there was this kind of cultural scene within yeah. it as yeah. well, jaundiced as he may have been about it. Yeah, and the John Hewitt connections really, um, for me, it's very interesting mm. because I, I'm I'm from Coventry, mm. brought up in Coventry. John Hewitt went over to um, Coventry to be director. I think he was the first director of the Herbert Art Gallery mm -hmm. in in Coventry in 1958. So, mm. a few years after Larkin had left Belfast. Um, Kewick um, goes to Coventry and there are a couple of overlaps in terms of publications as well mm -hmm. there um, Hewitt wrote in something that was put together by Coventry City Council to celebrate the redevelopment of the city that okay. Hewitt, Hewitt was, was, was quite an admirer of really mm -hmm. and Larkin's poem I Remember I Remember mm -hmm. is the first um, thing that's in this little booklet that Hewitt wrote oh, really? okay. and Equally, um, from Larkin's perspective, when he edited the um, Oxford book of um, of twentieth um, century verse, mm -hmm. included a Hewitt poem. It was um, the poem included as lines from a museum man's album, ah, yeah. which is quite interesting when you think about the famous lines of a young lines man. Of yeah. A um, so, so there's that kind of interesting mm. overlap, even though they were very different people, weren't they? Very different people. Political yes. outlook yeah. and the context of how they would see, say, Belfast or mm. Larkin would see England, for that matter, very different in terms of their perspective. Yeah, I think so. But there was also, um, and we were talking about this earlier, Philip, there was a sense that they were both working men. Yes. Um, you know, Larkin's librarianship, but uh, Hewitt, obviously, is a director of a gallery and, mm. and those kind of things. I think that they had... Um, there was a sense that that poetry was part of your working life. Uh, yeah. you, 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 you know, you had it. Yeah. They weren't uh, cliched artists in, yeah. in, the, in the same sense. I mean, I know that that you know, obviously through the poetry and uh, Larkin expresses that, but Hewitt as well. You know, that that sort of that sense of being somebody who could administrate very well. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. 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 You know, and 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 had a had a pride in that. I mean, mm. um, you know, Larkin actually is quite a famous librarian yeah, yeah, uh, yeah in, in yeah. terms of the work that he did in Hull and yeah. uh, you know and, and was obviously it was it's hard to get from from some of the biographies and things like that but he that he you know it was obviously a huge part of his life and here it was very similar to that yeah. you know the, the work at the Ulster Museum which is just across the, the yeah. other side of the university here um but also uh you know his work in Coventry and things like that was something something of pride yeah. to him you know? yeah I mean I think that there is a feeling around that Larkin's Role as a librarian mm. um, has been a bit, a bit underplayed because so. he was he was very successful at mm. that. And if we're talking about Belfast being um, you know um, important for his for his development, mm. clearly it's for his poetry. But equally, you could say that some of the library skills that he was developing mm. um, started they didn't start here, but they developed to another level here because yeah. he had a greater level of responsibility mm -hmm. at Queen's uh, Library and. Um, it was a stepping stone to go to Hull. Yeah. So you still have that progression, you know, to a, mm. a, a to be head librarian at Hull. He was the youngest head librarian in the country. Mm. In that yeah. And also that that poetic career, if you call it that, moving on to. I was reading um, in motion uh, the uh, interview when Larkin went to Hull for his interview, and uh, um, Granny could said uh, he'd come increasingly to rely on Larkin's judgment and admitted I have delegated him rather larger areas of responsibility than normally falls to the lot of a sub-librarian. He has yeah. the ability to assess a problem, arrive at a decision and act upon it without delay. 
which is not too common among academic um, administrators, jittery <laughs> academic administrators. And they also said he was the nicest of the candidates as well. Um, really? Yeah. He That's was, interesting. They were the most impressed, and they said he was the nicest. And, um, you know, they, they really enjoyed the way that he talked about his work in Belfast. I mean, he sounds to it made just his work on the issue desk really quite um, fascinating. Mm-hmm. He was able to turn what was quite a rude, well, I don't know, to the outsider, perhaps seemed like quite a dull job. He clearly loved it because you yeah. can't make something sound fascinating unless you absolutely no. love it yourself. Well, uh, having worked in the library for a long time, it, it is extremely exciting. It, you know, and, and looks from the outside as being very dull. But if you if you love it, yeah, I, I think Larkin did, and I, I think there is a there's a kind of dedication to it. I mean, certainly there is some work uh, in terms of library studies on sort of historically what he did in Hull. Okay, yeah, uh, because I think that you know it was a time. Uh, when computerization was coming in, yeah. you know, cataloging in that sense was changing and and shifting over from paper into more the early years of computerization. Yeah. And I think that the library that he built is is you know known as one of the one of the best university libraries in the country. Yeah. yeah. So I think that there definitely is, and and you know, Hewitt, in terms of that sort of that engagement with the ideas of cataloging and organization of knowledge and things like mm. that. Yeah. I mean, Hewitt isn't a poet necessarily in Larkin's orbit. You know, mm. I think, I think Hewitt, Hewitt has uh, some amazing poems that, that cut through, but I, I think it, he wasn't as consistent necessarily um, as Larkin, but, uh, but there is a, there's a, there's a kind of, there's an organization within their poems. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a clarity of thought. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm stretching a bit, but I think that there's, there's, there's definitely a kind of a sense of uh, there's no decadence within their poems. Mm. Really. Yeah. No, we've said that as well about Larkin's photography, haven't we? And, and there's been some links made between his photographic skills and his, yeah. his kind of librarianship skills of mm. cataloguing and organising um, yeah. you know, in a very direct manner. And I think in terms of, you know, you mentioned something else, which is a, a, a feature of Larkin that, that, you know, has been explored, and that is his photographic aspects. Mm. And in a way, they also took off, uh, took off in Belfast. There's right. quite a lot of Larkin's photographs of, of Belfast that um, um, show how he was wanting to capture parts of, of, of this place and mm. uh, so on. Uh, where can people see the poet, uh, the photography? Is it, I mean, is it available um, or...? It, it's part of the archive, so it's part right. of the Larkin archive. We're, okay. we're, very, we're very lucky, really, if anyone's interested in Larkin, that it's all in one place, yeah. actually, which mm-hmm. is the history centre in, in Hull. Yeah, half and, of it, uh, like uh, the, for Irish poets, half of it is in America. Which yeah, is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's not like Ted Hughes, for example, <laughs> as well, where you've got to go after America, but it's, it's most of it is one place, and there are thousands and thousands mm. of photographs in there. I mean, Richard Bradford, of course, um, produced that that book of Larkin's photographs, mm-hmm. the importance of elsewhere, and um, Richard came over and looked through mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of the photographs there. But there are many that still haven't been seen, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, is the exciting thing about archives is well, that yeah. you know some of it you see you're very familiar with the photographs that appeared in Andrew Motion's biography or the other mm-hmm. biographies, but there are thousands that haven't really been looked at, mm-hmm. including some of the Belfast ones, I would say. Yeah, and no, it'll be interesting to, to, to have a look at them and see yeah. how he saw the city as well, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it, 
the 1950s is a very interesting time here because obviously we're climbing out of the war like the rest of the, the rest of the country and things and rationing is still here and things but there are little sort of little green shoots yeah uh, floating around um, yeah. and it would be it would be very interesting to have a look yeah. at those and and yeah. see sort of what what he saw of the city you know yeah yeah sure. he saw it um when he came over um comparative to to Leicester for example is quite seemed like more of a prosperous city more mm-hmm. bustling city that yeah. sort of survived the war um you know a bit, in a bit better shape perhaps yeah i think it still had industry and and yeah. still there was a lot of it, it hadn't um the shipyards had sort of uh obviously they'd been hit by the blitz here and things but uh but they'd rebuilt for the war effort yeah um and uh and there was a lot of industry here and things and i suppose it's um it's geographically quite different so you know it's in a valley and yeah there's a kind of there's a, there's a green and pleasant land sort of feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Although I did notice that he, he he describes it as having an odd man odd man out that there was still a lot of odd man out feeling around about the place. Yeah, okay. you know? yeah. um, he would have known probably F. L. Green as as well who wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, if he knew Hewitt, then he probably would have known Green as yes. well. So yeah. Um, so and obviously the film yeah. was very well known as well. So. I mean, another aspect I I, I think fascinated me about um, Larkin's time here. Um, looking from having this sort of long perspective of, of of what we know of Larkin's later life, you know, and going backwards in time is it was pretty fit when he when he came mm. to Belfast. I mean, he earlier on when he was in Wellington, he he made a point of walking up the Reekin, um, the hill. There's a big hill uh, in, in Wellington overlooking that, and he said that when he came down, he felt he felt like a, a piece of perished rubber. Well. The equivalent of that in 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 Belfast was to uh, was to walk up the um, That's Cave Hill. Cave Hill, yeah. yeah. Cave Hill. Walked up. He was persuaded to walk up Cave Hill by right. one of his friends mm. here, and uh, complained about how hard it was. But it was worth it when he got to the yeah, top. It's quite a the view. view yeah. must be pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he cycled a lot. Cycled a lot, yeah. And, and Belfast is not like Hull when it comes to cyclists. Do you really? Uh, is Hull a good place for cycling? It's flat. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Belfast isn't too bad. I mean, I've, I've cycled around the city since I was about eight years mm. old. Um, there are a couple of hills, but, you know, you get used yeah. to the hills. Well, early on, he, he cycled to Carrickfergus, right, yeah. you know, mm. all the way up there. And he said it was better coming back. Um, yeah, he got a view of the hills of the city and all that yeah. sort of stuff, yeah. Um, but he was a fit guy compared mm. to later in yeah. life anyway. You think about he was out and doing these things and mm. exploring his environment and mm. wanting to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. He did some epic cycling around Hull as well, didn't he? Did he he cycle in Hull as well? Yeah, he used to go up up into the sort of east riding, up onto the Yorkshire Wolds. And and his bicycle was just a ginormous, clunky old thing. Initially, um, the only good thing you could say about Hull was it was flat. Was yeah. like, <laughs> I found a lot of other things afterwards, but yeah, like, it's initial yeah. sort of... Um, uh, his, his feeling about anywhere new is mm. to is to start to disparage it in various ways, and then gradually gets to uh, like it. Alone Belfast, he was pretty much liking it from the start. From the start yeah, 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 he settled in really, really quickly, didn't he? Mm. Um, I, I was reading uh, this weekend the, the single to Belfast, the, the yeah. poem he drafted on the on the um, uh, boat across, and yeah. he was really struggling, wasn't he? You know, this he talks about is it like a a hem- hemorrhage of grief. Um, really? It was a really big move for him to come over to Belfast. Well, um, it, it, it was. I mean, you know, I think it's it's not hard to overstate how 
um, or sorry, not, not, it's, you know, to actually have a sense of how apart it was here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> um, Dervil and Murphy called, called it a place apart, and it really was that, you know, different government, different style of living, different mm. place, the accents itself, themselves. You know, those, are, those aren't accents you would have ever heard on the BBC. Mm-hmm. You know, your knowledge coming from England in the 1950s in Northern Ireland would have been very, very small. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it was a big step. It was, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, it was probably the longest sort of thing that Larkin ever did, really, in terms of, you know, the furthest he ever went for anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, except Sark, of course. But, he, you know, he had a, he, he was making quite a big step. I mean, my parents came here in 1970 from England. And, you know, that was quite a big step then. Yeah. So to do that in the 1950s would have been, you know, or, or, you know, 1950 itself, but would have been quite a big step for him. Even as a young man, I think it would have would have been quite interesting. And obviously the relationship with his parents and his mother and, uh, you know, all, yeah. all those th- those torturous things that are always Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lockie was very, very keen to throw off his problems. That was the thing. Yeah. yeah. In 1950, he was living with his mother. Mm in Leicester. Mm. Um, she was incredibly depressed. I mean, um, Sidney Larkin had died in 1948, March 1948, and um, she went to to live with Larkin in Leicester. Larkin was working as, as a sublime yeah, librarian right, right. there. They bought a house together. Mm. So it was a, you could imagine that kind, a kind of existence. Mm. She was very needy. Um, he also had his still had his girlfriend Ruth Bowman, who, mm-hmm. who he, he he ended up getting engaged to twice during that period of time, and he was starting a, a relationship with Monica Jones. Mm-hmm. So he had that kind of pressure on him. Plus, he couldn't write. Yeah, he was struggling to try and write a third novel, and mm-hmm. it wasn't working. All of that was sort of pushing him towards escape, mm-hmm. and he tried to get a, a couple of jobs. Then the Belfast job came up, mm. and you don't get a feeling for why. You know, maybe he felt that was just right then, but he applied for it, mm. went over, came over here for the interview, was successful, and then he got the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must have been. It sort of felt like a big step, I'm yeah. sure, too, but yeah. maybe quite useful as well. So, yeah. but it is interesting. He describes it as grief. You know, yeah, as a, as yeah. A, a yeah. letting go. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he and um, Queens at that time was a very different kind of university from how it is today. I know if you're going to do the event in, in the rooms where he actually mm. stayed, there was a there were quite strict rules, weren't they? And oh yeah. Kind yeah. of was treated I don't know, like almost like an, a student yeah. uh, not allowed women back in the in the room. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a hostel for um male um Members of staff and senior students, mm. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Research students. And there's no women, as you say. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think he felt that it was a bit like being, well, a lot like being in Oxford again. Mm. You know, he'd, um, he'd, he'd come from, well, Queen's was a much more prestigious university than University College Leicester was yeah. in, in, in um, 1950. And if you imagine going, I think Larkin had it a couple of times where he went back to Oxford and, and he was in a better position almost to enjoy it as a more mature person. Mm. But you get a feeling from those early letters that mm. he's writing home that he's back at university, yeah. enjoying having his bed made for him, mm. going across the road to have food. It may not mm. be the best food in the world, but it was actually better than he'd had in digs. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and basically having a good life. Yeah. 
time. You know, I don't think he could believe his luck at the time. I don't know. It feels that way. Yeah, well, I suppose it's just it, 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 so he landed in the right place at the yeah. right time. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in terms of his writing as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously the big thing for Belfast is that, that large parts of Less Deceived was kind of yeah. written here, you know, yeah. um, and, and it's quite interesting. I mean, it, it's worth sort of talking about what Belfast was like in the 1950s. Mm. So you come out of the war, it's, it's still very, very industrial place, you know, in, in, in sort of the, tr the traditional stereotype way, you know, big docks, the shipyards are still huge, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mackey's and, um, um, uh, munitions factory. Mm. You know, it's a very, very industrial place. Uh, it's very divided. Um, so it's so it might be might have been quite a shock in terms of the division for him in terms of you know um, uh, the, the way that the um, the city was divided into Catholic and Protestant areas. Yeah. Um, that, uh, and I think it's it's very dour. Um, uh, it's quite a Presbyterian place, mm -hmm. um, which is very different from today. Uh, but it was you know it was a, it was quite you know Christmas wasn't really a particularly big thing mm -hmm. here, um, and and it was I mean the war had changed Belfast mm -hmm. um, in the sense that there was a lot more incomers during the war and uh, American troops were here and, and that sort of thing so so what you know there, there had been a change and a chink of light uh, and, and things had got in you know there was there was there was jazz and there was lots mm -hmm. and lots of drinking uh, you know which is something that we that we do very well but for example on a sunday everything closed down yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the whole city was closed down there were no cinemas open on a sunday and there was no pubs open on a sunday uh for a short period of time there was no parks allowed to be open on a sunday you know mm -hmm. so there was there was uh in in that sense it was quite a different atmosphere from what a english city would have been like yeah. um in that sense yeah um i mean there was no hint of multiculturalism necessarily yeah. so, you know there, there was no sort of no sense of diversity in that sense yeah so i think you know to to write against that backdrop is quite interesting the, um and I, I mean i don't know whether it was sort of you know it was quite a religious place there was a lot yeah. of you know re religion was in the air all the yeah. time in belfast mm. so, you know, yeah, yeah. whether or not that kind of he kicked against that because uh, he wrote um water and church going didn't he, he did yeah he wrote church going when he was in belfast yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing going back over that, with the, that that outline that Hugh's given of what how how different Belfast was in that, that early period of nineteen fifties, Larkin, you'd think from that, wouldn't you, that Sundays would be dire days for him because mm -hmm. there's nothing to do. But actually, it's not like that. Partly because he used Sundays to write him. Oh. So the letters that he'd write home or to mm -hmm. Monica were all at that point nearly always written on Sundays, oh, which makes yeah, sense, yeah, you know. Yeah. But he, the other thing I suppose, he, most of the friends he made in 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 Belfast were from the university, weren't they? Mm, originally? Yeah. And they were all effectively almost expats, yeah. right, from part different parts of the British Isles. So mm -hmm. you knew people who come from Wales, who come from Scotland, come mm -hmm. from England. So there was a kind of community within the community. Mm -hmm. And when when uh, Dawson, who was uh, Winifred Arnott, of course, mm -hmm. at the time when um, Larkin knew her. She was also outside of that community, although that she lived with her aunt in Lisbon, which is a few about seven or eight miles away. From yeah, we'd be around for that. Um, she wasn't part of that Presbyterian um, mm -hmm. kind of <clears throat> culture within uh, Belfast. So she said that's one of the reasons they, that she and Larkin got on quite well. Mm. She worked in the library and they used to spend a lot of time together going out to various places. Um, so there was this feeling of being different, but being part of something you could actually connect to, but you were different from. Yeah. I think the other thing on Sundays, wasn't it? The thing is Sundays, well, even though the pubs weren't open, you there's a lot of drinking that went on in people's houses. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the great things about Belfast is Belfast people is we can always find another way. To get around. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, there were cinema clubs created um, that, that would open on a Sunday and things yeah. like that. And, um, uh, yeah, yeah, there was sort of uh, lots of uh, lots of places in people's houses. And yeah. the whole, I mean, there was a bohemian scene. I'm not saying that there yeah. wasn't. If you knew where to find it, you could find it. And mm. certainly a lot of that centered around the university and things. Yeah. But, but it, you know, in terms of the overall atmosphere of the city and yeah. the kind of the, the sense of the city, um, there was a sense, you know, I mean, well, when I was uh, doing Larkin or doing Larkin for A-level or whatever it was, you know, Leicester seemed always seemed a freeing thing to me. Mm, mm. Um, and, and there was a sense, I don't know whether he picked up on this, but there was a sense that Belfast needed a bit of less deception and a bit less being cowed by rules and, yeah, and, and yeah. Kind of fear, I yeah. think, as well. Um, and, um, and maybe that came, comes out a little bit. So certainly church going is a really interesting yes. poem to think about writing here while he's here, mm. uh, you know, in terms of this was a, a, a place that was deeply religious. There was a church on every corner yeah. and, and, a, and a multiplicity of churches as well. You know, there was a, there was a Catholic church on one corner and then there would be the, you know, the Christian Death Fellowship would be the, on the next and there would be the kind of, you know, Kingdom of God church, and, mm. uh, you know, in, in that sense. And I wonder whether religion was was part of that. Um, that thinking, you know, a place where religion was so upfront. Yeah. Uh, not to say that England didn't have that in the 1950s, but in Northern Ireland it was it was, yeah, it was very strong. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting, really, with church going, because I don't know whether I mean I certainly hadn't necessarily associated that poem with mm. with Northern Ireland. You know, well, I knew it had been written here, yeah. but it comes across to me as kind of like an an English poem. So mm. I imagine a lot of people don't realise that. Mm. that poem was written in Northern Ireland because, you know, there's the famous BBC Monitor programme that Larkin did with John Betjeman in 19... On the bicycle. Uh, four, was it? Um, mm. Where he's seen biking along to mm. a church on the south bank of the Humber. And, yeah. you know, it, that's a poem, that's one of the poems that he wrote here. Yeah. I mean, it was a very prol prolific period of time mm. for writing. Yeah. Which I reckon uh, he wrote something like 60 poems when he was in Belfast. They weren't all published, of course, but mm. if you look at the list of poems yeah. that are down from that point, some of them he'd started in Leicester and hadn't finished, mm. others he wrote here. And, of course, as we were saying, that the, 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 some of those would then appear in the Leicester Seed when, when, he, when he came to, to hold. Cool. But it was yeah. incredibly prolific. Mm. Uh, and he was also... Um, writing the New World Symphony, his uh, yes. last, last attempt, attempt at a novel. novel. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like a massive turning point for him as well whilst he was in yeah. Belfast that he just realised he was going to, in his words, a failure really as, as a yeah. novelist. Mm, yeah. um, and, and that was difficult for him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that, that's how he saw himself first, really, wasn't it? When he came yeah. In, first he was, yeah. yeah. It yeah. seems like he worked that out by the time, you know, he worked out that he wasn't going to be a novelist mm. in Belfast again. Yeah. One last attempt to at that. It's interesting, Lynn, that you mentioned Single to Belfast, the poem that he never published that Andrew Motion includes in, in that first book. Yeah. What interests me about that poem is because it's about leaving leaving um, England and, and travelling out of Liverpool and, and um, going to Belfast. It, but the thing that's interesting is that he actually names the city in that poem. Mm. And he very rarely... Name yeah, he doesn't do place, does he? That's uh, right. He, yeah. Coventry's mentioned in one poem, Oxford is mentioned in one poem. Prestatin, of course. And Prestatin, and then one or two villages outside. He never mentions Hull in a poem by name. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, here mm -hmm. is all about Hull. And I was thinking, you know, could you say there were any poems which were Belfast poems in terms of typical, the poems that actually reflect what he was doing in Belfast, and I think there are a couple. Well, there are, yeah. I mean, I'd say importance of elsewhere. Oh, that's is that's all the, obvious. As the most, yeah. as the most yeah. famous. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's difficult. I mean, I think the um, obviously uh, uh, the title, uh, reason for attendance. Reason for attendance is. I mean, I think that that feels quite kind of. Well, but I, but I don't know if he's a writer of place. I don't think he, he isn't. No, it's he's a re, it, you know it's the ideas of a place or the atmosphere of a place that he yeah. has. I mean, yeah. even 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 um, uh, importance of elsewhere. You know, uh, there's a kind of sense that that could be just some anywhere that's apart from yes. anywhere else. Yeah. But the, the the descriptions within importance to elsewhere, which are, you know end on two hills. You know, one, one of the one of the yeah. things about Belfast yeah. geographically is the hills are always there. Um, and um, as the poet Jerry Dore says, the hills are glorious. What else do you need? Yeah. And uh, there's, this, there's a kind of sense that, you know, that he's aware of the geography within that yeah. poem, certainly. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I pick on that one because mm. um, one of the things that um, one, the, one of the first descriptions of Belfast that um, Larkin gives to um, Monica, I think, is he says uh, it smells of dung. Now, when he came to Hull a few years later, the first thing he wrote to his mother was, it's chilly here and smells of fish. fish. Yeah. <laughs> so if you take that line in the whole version, that line is turned into poetry a few years later because mm. it becomes a, a, a fishy smelling pastoral of ships up streets. Mm. Now in Belfast, he does the same thing. See, in that poem, Importance of Elsewhere, he talks about the drafty streets end on to hills, the faint archaic smell of Dockland like a stable yeah mm -hmm. got that first impression um which is a negative really mm -hmm. because you say this place smells which which it probably did because there were a lot of horses around mm -hmm. belfast in the 50s wasn't there yeah it would be yeah would have horses but also um you would have big animal markets yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, you know, yeah. Like herds of cattle would have been yeah. taken through the center of the, yeah. of the time across the bridges from uh, county yeah. dynamics yeah do you, I mean, if you've got a copy of the poem there, it'd be nice to actually read it out. The importance of elsewhere. Yeah, you if, if, you're, yeah, if you would go. like to read it, yeah. that'd be great. And I'll come up with another Belfast poem after that. Okay, yeah, that'd be lovely. The importance of elsewhere. Lonely in Ireland, since it was not home, strangeness made sense. The salt rebuff of speech, insisting so on difference, made me welcome. Once that was recognised, we were in touch. Their giraffe streets end on two hills, the faint archaic smell of Dockland like a stable. The herring hawker's cry dwindling went to prove me separate, not unworkable. Living in England has no such excuse. These are my customs and establishments. It would be much more serious to refuse. Here, no elsewhere underwrites my existence. 1955, fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it captures what he was trying to get at, I think, it, what was happening to him when he came over here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we've called the the, the, the event on um, Tuesday night, it's called The Imports of Elsewhere, which mm -hmm. which, which which seems to summarise... Um, I think it's his, his experience of Belfast, yeah. 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 The poem I, I would... Sorry, Lynn, go I, I just... Uh, the reference to speech, uh, they said he was he did a good uh, Belfast accent, apparently. <laughs> it's very good mimic. <laughs> yeah, he's very aware of that in the letters as well. There's yeah. lots of examples where Thwaite has pointed out that he, you know, yes. uh, he's using the Ulster vernacular here or this sort of mm. weird spelling and things yeah, like that. No, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> the poem I picked up on as being a Belfast poem is Absences. Yeah. And the reason for that, I think, is because it sort of reflects what he was trying to what he was trying, what he was aiming to to be while he was in Belfast, but in Belfast, so you know, throwing off, throwing off um, all the all those accoutrements he had when he was in the, is in England, or trying to get out of the picture. 
Um, he, he writes about absences or talks about absences afterwards, many a few years later. I am always thrilled by the thought of what places look like when I'm not there. Mm. So this feeling of trying to be in a place but not there. It's elsewhere and he's uh, he's out of the picture. And he he talks about, he, I think he was quite um, pleased with this poem overall. He talks about the last line. The last line sounds like a slightly unconvincing translation from a French symbolist. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could write like this more often. And of course, he was influenced by um, French symbolism while he was here. And yeah, so he was reading that uh, from the library in yeah, Belfast, wasn't he? He was, was. reading collections. And also the conversations, the letters and the conversations with Patsy Strang over here, who had an interest in uh, French poetry. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, and in some ways you could say it's very unlike Larkin, the, the bulk of Larkin's poems. So it's not about Belfast, but it um, seems to reflect what was happening to him in Belfast, mm. what he was trying to achieve. Mm. Do you want to read, I read that absences? One. absences. It's a nice short one. We, we come back to absences quite often in the podcast. Yeah, we've met. Um, it's been in the others, hasn't it? it yeah, has yeah, because obviously we have Graham Chester as our uh, chair being a French literature <laughs> expert. So Not we have to be very careful when we talk about yeah, it. Exactly, with Graham. Yeah. Not only that, but of course, Graham, was, uh, Graham, Graham lectured here in the. Um, yeah, of course, uh, yeah, yeah. With his wife and. Um, Lived lived actually on Elmwood Avenue. I think it's twenty four Elm, Elmwood Avenue, which is three doors down from Larkin. From Larkin, that's right. That that, that, um, that that house still exists. It's actually a, a church building of sorts now. Okay. Um, Larkin's uh, house is knocked down. The thirty. Um, well, obviously the, the Queen's Chambers is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a definitely um, Elm, it's um, the Catholic chaplaincy is down there as well. So yeah, number thirty. He's um. Taken over by religion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, revenge. Yeah. Um, so I'll read absences anyway. Rain patters on a sea that tilts and sighs. Fast running floors collapsing into hollows. Tower suddenly, spray haired. Contrary wise, a wave drops like a wall. Another follows, wilting and scrambling, tirelessly at play, where there are no ships and no shallows. Above the sea, a yet more shoreless day. Riddled by wind, trails lit up galleries. They shift a giant ribbing, sift away. Such attics cleared of me. Such absences. So really taking himself out of the scene there. Mm. Interesting. It's, sort of, you know, it's where he puts himself in a poem as well. It's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. And you can, you can think about that in terms of the rooms also that he was occupying here and the rooms he'd left behind. The attic rooms and the yeah, attic rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he always but, lived in attics. Somebody once said that, yeah. said that to me. He, he was always, much, much happier much at the top of the attics. house. Yes, his mm. first attics were actually in the houses he lived in in Coventry, particularly oh, the Warwick House mm. that um, that he that his parents were living at when when he was at Oxford. Mm. Um, he had a series of pretty rubbish um, uh, lodgings when he was in Wellington, the place he went as soon as you know where he started his public library career. Mm. Leicester, the rooms were kind of more or less okay mm. but when he came to Belfast I think everywhere he lived in Belfast more or less was mm. good for him but Elmwood Avenue was the mm. number 30 yeah, yeah and he came to Hull after that and complained because he was back in pretty dodgy lodgings yeah. he yeah. there. so he ended up writing Mr Bellini yeah. 
as a result of that, then he found Pearson Park, mm. and then he found the top floor flat in Pearson Park. You know, mm. the place he came to, which was for it was supposed to be temporary accommodation for new members of staff but at the University of Holland. I think he stayed there for seventeen years, <laughs> <laughs> and then finally had to buy a house. Mm. Uh, he and Monica in bought together, together, did they? No, 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 no. He bought himself. He bought it firstly on his own. It was a a large. Um, detached house mm. quite close to the university quite a nice part of mm. like a walk away from the university when he when he first lived there we tried to reconstruct the top floor <laughs> flat yeah, that okay. he'd had in um pearson park he had to move out of pearson park because the university sold the house right and he could never make it work mm. and then monica did come and live with him mm. for the last year of his life mm. that she needed looking after so he never found that top floor flat again. Mm. But the best one, I think he would say, because he talks about the best conditions for writing were in Belfast. Yeah. Yeah. He loved Elmwood Abbey. Mm. No, it's uh, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I've spent um, large parts of my career um, with with a sort of idea that you know Belfast has a literary heritage, and and that there's a that you know even beyond Shenzhen, there's this huge kind of um heritage because it really wasn't taught to us that much at school mm, and yeah. it really wasn't engaged in and the city didn't pay that much attention to it um and you know working in arts development and things like that as i have done for for, for 30 years it's a kind of if you can't see it then you can't be it i suppose yeah, yeah. It's the idea you know so the, the 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 fact that Larkin w- was here for five years, but also that it was such an important five years to his writing, yeah, uh, adds a really interesting um, strand to the city's literary heritage, yeah. you know, um, which is already rich and interesting and yeah. and all sorts of stuff. You know, last year was the hundredth year of Brian Moore. Uh, and Moore, you know, uh, for those who don't read him or haven't known of him, was one of the 20th century's most successful novelists. Mm. Uh, and he came from here and, you know, and he, he wrote these very, very kind of um, uh, prolific novelists all the way through his life. Yeah. Um, also, again, one of those sort of people who would get up in the morning and write all day. And, you know, he, he was a bit like Larkin and Hewitt, very organised. Yeah. Right? Um, and and you know re- really the, the response of people you know for, of all different ages those who had read him before those who'd never heard of him and things like that and I think it, it's very interesting how a city or a place has these these people that can tell the story of of, of, um, of what they're there. if anyone is interested in the, in the kind of Belfast that was that Larkin was living in Reed Moore's um, the Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn oh yeah yeah which is, yeah. Which is the sort of best evocation of. Yeah period of time there's a couple of other ones that are well out of print but but Hearn I think has been in print since it, since it was published in the 1950s um and uh and it's a really interesting kind of capturing of that time yeah um and uh, the kind of that what I was talking about that sort of slightly oppressive atmosphere that that Larkin was living in amongst oh I remember that uh the, mm. did they make it into a film they did there's Bob a film with Maggie Smith Maggie Smith and Bob Hoskins yeah um yeah and it's I mean it's not it doesn't. I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's um, but it, the, the 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 novel is another. I mean, Smith's performance is amazing. Yeah. But the rest of the film doesn't quite fall into place. But the uh, but the but that sort of atmosphere um that was around um now I don't think Murr and Larkin their paths would have never crossed because right. uh, Murr left in 1946 I think to go to yeah. Canada and live there ever after, um but certainly that kind of sense of 
what a what a city would have been like. Um, you know, Moor captures it perfectly. Um, and uh, and so you know, if you if you want to imagine Larkin tramping or mm-hmm. cycling through the streets of Belfast in the nineteen fifties, that's the <laughs> that's the book to get hold of. Oh yeah, I I definitely did read that book years ago. I think after the film came out, but mm. yeah, I, I'd forgotten about it. Something too. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it, it was interesting, you know, I mean, I think Larkin had slightly fallen out of favour when, but just before Motion's um, book had come out. Um, but from that point on, the city, you know, there are people here who are interested. And yeah. you know, obviously the event on Tuesday night will be interesting to see how that, uh, what the response to that is, but also yeah. poets, poets who are interested in the influence of Larkin, because so many, so many poets have done, done them at A-level. So many poets have done them through screws and through yeah, like, of course, you know, like yeah. close close reading that, that yeah. you need in order to. And to he's get still it. he's still studied for A level here, isn't he? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think he's still on the syllabus as, as far as I know. Um, I was taught him by a man called Patsy McCann, who to English students in, in Belfast is a bit of a legend. He um, he taught at the uh, what was called the College of Business Studies. Yeah, the College of Knowledge. Ten, uh, and uh, so he told me there. But he was um, he was a guy who got a job at the shipyards when he was sixteen, and then left and worked his way all the way through the different qualifications up to PhD, and then um, went to teach at uh, at um, um, uh, at this tech and had a, just a real understanding of Larkin. I don't think he particularly liked Larkin, but he was really really yeah. good at teaching him. You know, uh, really really good at getting him across and 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 trying to get people to to know because often with Larkin you can miss. I think sometimes the the the, the cleverness and the, yeah. the, the 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 closeness uh, sometimes because it feels so comfortable and vernacular and speech yeah. and all yeah. those kind of yeah. things, and then sometimes you suddenly realise the technique that he's using or the the kind of thought that has gone into a specific line at a specific time, a specific place in the poem. Yeah. So I think you know I, I think that's always a privilege learning him. Like yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I never I never learnt Larkin at school, university, but. Having taught Larkin, I mean, teaching teaching Larkin at A level was my way into joining the society. Actually, mm-hmm. about ten years ago, um, just to kind of find out a bit more about him, really. I mean, I think it's you know interesting from the, from this side of the of the RSC in terms of uh, how people talk about Larkin in, in England and things and mm. the discussions around him and things like that because I think undeniably there are things in in Larkin's hinterland beyond the poems that are that are difficult. Yeah, uh, and challenging and generational, and uh, you know the, the, that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. Um, but it is interesting that the, the, the poetry is still there, and it's almost a, a, a above poetry now. It's sort of moving above that. So, um, well, it's just yeah, it's becoming so much part of the national language now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just it's he's not going away. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know with the the death of Queen Elizabeth, um, his poem there. The, the poem that he wrote for the Jubilee. That Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer uh, read it out. Um, yeah. You know, the mower was really, was quoted a lot during lockdown, for example. Mm. Um, so people come to Larkin through lots of different ways now, and not necessarily knowing anything about him or being interested in poetry. He's definitely part of the national language. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, our exemplar of that is Heaney. And, um, mm. I mean, you know, it's interesting. A poet isn't. People sort of tend to think of poets as being, well, they've always been there and they are always revered and, and all that sort of stuff. But there's always been plenty of kickback against Heaney as well. And, yes, and mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously not so much since his death, obviously, but, you know, there was a, there was a lot of attacks on Heaney about what he wrote about, what, well, more specifically what he didn't write about. Um, and his, you know, his engagement with the the, the troubles here and, and mm. 
what that all meant and mm. things like that. I mean, it is it is interesting. And you know, poetry is still is still important in that sense. In the, mm. what kind of poetry you teach in schools seems to be important to yeah. people. Uh, and and you know and and the kind of messages that that poetry gives across it's it's you know it's still vital it's still it's still there. Uh, in my day job, I work in cinema, and we're always being told every five minutes that cinema is dead. And I suppose poetry is often sort of same thing. Poetry's dead. Literary societies are yeah. dead. Yeah. 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 But, but, <laughs> so here we are. But the, yeah, the, the flag is still flown, and the and the need is still there. Yeah. So, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned um, Phil Patsy Strang, because I think you know, because obviously oh, Winifred Arnott and uh, or Winifred Dawson and Patsy Strang were yeah. two very important relationships for Philip Larkin, weren't they? They I were in, in different ways. I mean, I I think um, I mean, certainly what I'm going to be talking about on on Tuesday night, I'm concentrating more on the Winifred side of things. That's partly because, in a way, we know a lot more about her life from her perspective yeah. Patsy Strang um, because Winif Winifred's um, archive material is also a whole history centre so yeah. I'm yeah. delving into that and I did she is one of the people I did meet and talk to her about um, when she was alive talk to her about um, a Belfast Patsy Strang I think is interesting as somebody who is seen very much as you know the affair that Larkin had uh, in Belfast, she 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 was married to uh, Colin Strang, who was a who was a lecturer here. Had a, a quite a passionate affair with with Larkin. Mm. Um, she's seen very much as a sort of do the doomed woman in the end, in terms mm. of how it ended. Um, she, at one point, apparently she she had she she had a feeling that she that uh, she should divorce and marry Larkin and um, and and in a sense look after him so he could become this great. Poet, which which would have alarmed him tremendously, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what is forgotten, possibly about Patsy Strang is uh, uh, she she went on, she wrote poetry herself. She was interested. In she, she wrote her book, which was published uh, posthumously, um, playing the harlot, yeah. where, which yeah. one of the characters is apparently based on on Larkin. But um, she also wrote poetry, and there are, you know, I came across some things written. From an Irish perspective, for, um, from uh, in terms of her poetry as being somebody who's been forgotten, she she went on to be a successful publisher as well, mm. an editor of journals when she lived in Dublin, when she came back to Dublin later in in life, and died rather tragically and very and, and quite young of um, of, of alcoholism and, mm. and, and um, barbiturates and so on. I mean, she's a, another sad person in the in the Larkin story, if you like. Mm. So one that I don't think necessarily we've we've heard the full story of from a biographical point of view, you know, because mm. you don't get to hear her voice so much, even though there is the correspondence between her and, and Larkin. They wrote quite a lot of letters together. They're she was a very troubled person. She was a troubled person, yes. Troubled. But there also, I think, there was a sense in which she influenced Larkin's poetry as well. And we go back to a, a poem like Absences, mm. as we've already said, you know, there was look at Larkin's letters to Patsy Strang or their letters to each other, there is that literary connection. Mm. But you also find the letters to, to Monica. Yeah. He was writing yeah. to Monica. Yeah, there's lots of discussion of literature. Yeah. 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 And Patsy Strang was, was giving him some feedback, just as Monica was giving him some feedback mm. on the poems, whether he took it or not is another, another thing, I suppose. But I think there's more of a story to be told about mm. that. Mm. 
But um, I, I suppose I'm going to concentrate on on Winifred's side on Tuesday partly because it has a happier ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the happy yeah. ending being that uh, Winifred became one of the sort of our, in the sense founding members of the Larkin Society, came up to hold an awful lark. Mm. I think she was 85 when she died, but even with a year or so before that, she was driving all the way up from Winchester <laughs> to Hull once a year to come up, and she would always bring with her the photograph album, the famous photograph really? album, yeah. Larkin. The holy object. The holy yeah. object. I think it became a holy object. Yeah. That's yeah. also the history centre, mm. you know. And um, not a poem that she actually liked, by the way. She didn't think that he captured her as he imagined mm. it. But, well, it also, you know, there, there, I mean, I've heard very crit critiques which are problematic mm. in terms of the, of the of the way that he's writing about a young woman and, and, and all yes. that sort of stuff. Yeah, there is. It's yeah. interesting. Maybe she didn't quite like it because, um, yeah. You know, uh, it, it, it's, I mean, that that relationship is a, is one. You know, there's the photographs. Actually, the photographs that I've seen. Yeah, there's one in the lake. Is it? It's one. It, that's the one of this one of you bathing, mm. it, which is a line from Lions on a Young Lady's uh, photograph album. Mm. Um, she at one time she said, "Well, he didn't see that unless he took it because I had two albums. Right. He didn't see that. Maybe he saw it somewhere else, but it's it's appeared yeah. because you know that that we've got that from from her. Mm. She didn't like that poem. She did like Maiden Name. Like yeah, okay. She's a poem that he wrote about her getting married. You mm. know, Larkin was really thrown when she when she came back to Belfast the second time and had got engaged. Oh, yeah. And then she says that after that point, he took even more interest in her because she wasn't <laughs> available. But mm. they had a correspondence that went on in later life mm. and they met up one or two times in Oxford and elsewhere. Mm. Um, and and that friendship continued um, throughout that time. Mm. And I think, again, there's another story to be told about... The, the, uh, the Patsy Strang stuff is very interesting in terms of sort of rescuing her from just this sort of scorned... I think so, yeah. because I think I, I have a general feeling that he, the women in the biographies, the women in, you know that Larkin was involved with, aren't mm. always listened to. Well, we don't mm. get their stories. Mm. That's true of Larkin's mother, for example, mm. who I don't think ever appears in her own voice mm. very mm. often. And um, you're doing a lot of work on, on, yes, on that. Yes, I've done quite yeah. a lot on that. Mm. Um, I'm probably the only person in the world that's read every single letter that she wrote <laughs> to him, I think, because, you know, they, they can be quite hard going at times. Mm. But that was, at the end of the day, it probably was the most important relationship mm. that yeah. Larkin mm. had because it, it held everything together. And it coloured so much of his Yeah. Own. You yeah. look at the letters from, from Bell. I mean, that's another thing that's, in a way, is kind of interesting and surprising is, when you read the letters to his mother, it's almost like that's another kind of diary in mm. a way. That's the everyday stuff because mm. she's telling him everyday things and he's telling her everyday things. But mm. he drops into the conversation things to do with various people he's seeing. Mm. So he doesn't ever mention Patsy, Patsy Strang, but he suddenly mm. drops Winifred into the mm. conversation. He says something about... Um, she came back and is engaged, which is rather they put me out of you put me out. Yeah. And she she writes back and said, I don't think I met her when I came to Belfast. <laughs> I, you know? And then and but he's written to her in this uh, it, obviously it's something that's hitting him hard. Mm. I was about to pounce on her, I think he says. Something like that. So it's, you yeah. know, that would start to puzzle your mother, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah. It's like yeah. mentioned yeah. Monica a lot. But you've got that kind of running dialogue of everything mm. he's doing. Yeah. I think um Clive James talked talked about how um, her letters to him would give him that sort of sense of the everyday that he mm. could reimmerse in, which then For figures in the bones. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So and the um, the one thing I did pick up from the letters was that Larkin liked sport. 
Yes. Which I had never really thought of before that actually he was, I mean, I don't know, he was a sports fan. I mean, uh, he's a sports fan in 2022. is a very different thing. Yeah. <laughs> he loved cricket. That was oh, the yeah, cricket. Exactly, yeah. Ulster went to Ravenhill, uh, which is where Ulster plays. So you want to see Ulster play South Africa there? Yeah. Uh, in the 1950s. So, um, so and, you know, I was picking up on the on the test match on the, on the radio. So that, which is, I mean, it's not that surprising. He's an Englishman of a, a, yeah. of a certain era. And yeah. They, from the golden age. He shared an interest in rugby with Monica and he, he was taken mm. to rugby matches in Coventry by mm. his father as well as some football matches actually. Mm. He also liked boxing, which is mm. interesting. interesting. Mm. And then he wrote there's some of the letters you can find him talking about the you know the famous boxers of of the time. Mm. Um Randolph Turpin is yeah. one of the people mm-hmm. he mentions. Mm. And uh, again, he's sort of this historical detail. There's some some one of the letters I think he describes sitting in a pub called a Clarendon in Leicester when he was at Leicester with Monica. Was it him or is it, um, who's the biographer of Monica Jones? Um, John Sutherland yeah. talks about how Monica would sit in the pub and Larky would be there sometimes when he was visiting because yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd listen to the radio in the pub. Right. And the Ooh. pub would be entirely quiet. There'd been, you know, it's a bit like you, nowadays you'd be watching Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were all listening to this bite. Right. Um, so yes, it was quite it's, quite, it's just not. I mean, I suppose. Yeah, we we make a kind of simplistic de- de- demarcation in our heads between literary types and sporty types. Yeah. And jocks and nerds and all yeah. that sort of stuff from high school musicals, but um, yeah. there is a sense that because obviously the other great fan of rugby was Lou McNeese. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, McNeese used to come over for the rugby, especially. Yeah. Uh, around about that time, probably. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's great reports of McNeese you know, telling all sorts of you know, stories about going to see France and going to see England and all that. Yeah. Stuff. So it was quite a, quite a big deal. Um, the uh, the Ireland team used to play quite a lot up in Ravenhill in the, in the early 50s as well. So you would have seen those kind of um, five, uh, uh, whatever they're called, the, the five nations as they, they were, oh, six nations. Yeah, yeah. Nations and that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it is interesting. It's just a different sort of scan. Some of them wouldn't have yeah. Yeah. yeah, which probably means that he, if he wanted to, he could actually have a conversation with m- many people. If you think yeah, about it, yeah. if you have an interest in sport like that, I only found out <clears throat> recently that um, I don't know why it's recent because it's in all the I think it's in the biographies is when he was living in Holland. Um, he started when he when he first moved to Holland. He was living in Cottingham, which mm. is a village, uh, kind of just a, a large village outside. Of whole very close to the university and um he used to go to the memorial club there which was mm. like a snooker and billiards club mm. way into his life you know mm. after he'd left cottingham and he would go there quite often drink play snooker mm. with with the local yeah. people from there who possibly didn't know who he was yeah, yeah, yeah. together yeah or, he played um billiards when he was at um queens as well i was reading yes. today go and have a, a lunch time Half a Guinness and a game of billiards. Game yeah, of billiards. that'd be great, wouldn't it? To have a half a Guinness. I th- yeah, I think the life he led here sounded to me pretty terrific. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he almost sold Belfast in the nineteen fifties to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as it was as a young man, you know, young man. independence and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah. it would have worked for him. But yeah, there was a there was an ease to. I suppose life was set up for young men um, at yeah. the time as well. Yeah, I suppose you know, it was a kind of place where if you had a bit of money in your pocket and you were single you could you know um again just back to those those mer novels as well you know yeah. that, 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 that the the way that he casts belfast is there's a lot of dancing and there's yeah. uh, you know 
And, uh, you know, a lot of the letters are full of Larkin getting hold of jazz records and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, there was a guy called Solly Lipsitz, who was yeah. from the Jewish community here. Um, and uh, he was the great aficionado of, of jazz records and getting hold. And he would have put on all the concerts and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And there was a jazz scene here. You know, reasons, for, reasons for attendance, I suppose, is, is, is the best example of that. But um, it's very interesting, you know, because... Uh, uh, record a lot of records came in through American soldiers and sailors. Mm -hmm. They would bring them over from Detroit, or things would get sent over. And that's the story of Van Morrison. Uh, Van Morrison's father went in the fifties to work in Detroit, and then brought all these records back and right. sort of yeah. set up dealerships and things like that. And they were there was a place called Atlantic Records, I think, down on High Street, and that's where you would get your jazz records mm -hmm. and stuff. And, yeah. um, um, and so it, you know that kind of. Um, that milieu again, Larkin's on the edge of that, or you know, listening to it. Yeah, and he, one of the friends that he he made uh, from the university was um, somebody called Arthur Terry, who was a lecturer in Spanish, mm. and he was a great jazz enthusiast. It sounds like the relationship that Larkin had with Arthur Terry at that time was well, not exactly like Kingsley Amos, because I don't think Arthur Terry was anything like Kingsley <coughs> Amos, but they had this great love of jazz mm. and. Apparently, Arthur Terry was also a good, I think he was a good jazz pianist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could imagine, again, Larkin feeling it slotted in here with yeah. stood his music. Mm -hmm. and yeah. um, Fellow traveller. Fellow traveller, yeah. And it's interesting how Larkin came to leave Belfast because, you know, the advert for Hull was, was sort of given to him, wasn't it? Jackson, um, yes, from the library. That was his boss, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Move on. Um, Yes. I think they felt he was being perhaps a bit underused and saw his potential. Yeah. It seemed um, to be that, yeah, that it's about time you moved on, Larkin or mm -hmm. Philip or whatever he would have called him then. But uh, he had that sort of, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, you, if you're doing that kind of job, you must have to actually just go where the job is. Yeah. You know? So it yeah. was not a huge amount of movement uh, into yeah. you know, within, within those, uh, certainly the top ends of those kind of places, libraries yeah. and the uh, time. Yeah, um, and then of course, as he he'd already been published by uh, Marvel Press at that point, so he was mm. a little bit concerned that the his uh, bosses in Hull would have a bit of a dark view of him as this poet. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed to sell it in Hull. Please don't sell it in Hull. It was that's amazing, really, because that was quite an incredible coincidence, wasn't it? That yeah, he'd he'd got these from. Poems published in the Listen Listen magazine that George and Jean Hartley were, were running in Hull. He'd already been to Hull once before that when he was in Belfast because not long after he came to yeah it, well just come to the to the university and then Jack Granique sent him over to study um, the issue desks of mm. various um, English and Scottish universities, one of which was Hull. Oh, so he ended up in Hull. Mm. Um, you know, in, uh, that was I think 1951 time. And because Bell, because um, the library at Queen's was being redeveloped slightly mm -hmm. and expanded, so he fed those ideas in, which again goes about the thing about him being a good librarian and being in a position where when he go to if he went to Hull with the expectation that when he got to Hull he would be part of that um, developing that new library yeah. um, there. Um, he said to Grenique when he got the job, or Grenique rather said to, said about him when Larkin came back, having been successful, Renique said he'd never seen anyone so depressed by promotion. <laughs> 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 Which is, it sums him up, doesn't it? Really? A, bigger yeah. a bigger toad comes along. A bigger yeah. toad. Bigger toad yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so there's a, there's a, it, it, it means that Belfast was a really important place in its own right. 
And I just wonder whether if he had not been to Belfast, whether we would have ended up with the poems that that we did Mm. as a result of him being here. No, it's uh, and it's great. Um, we're really pleased that we can do the event to to mark that and, and keep the conversation about Larkin and Belfast going. Yeah, that's that would be so good if we can keep the links up. And mm. you know, I'd love to come out. I've, I've never been to Belfast, so I'd love to come and have a look around. And absolutely, I don't yeah. know how many members we've got over here. I mean, I, we're obviously Hugh, you're a member, mm. but I, I, I'm looking, I don't think we've got a lot of. Uh, Larkin Society members here. Hoping we might get a few more after Tuesday. Yeah, well, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really well, I'll, I'll I'll make sure that I uh, I, I do an advert for the, for the society in my introduction. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I mean, I think I think it is interesting in terms of. I mean, I don't know whether you'll have a, a Philip Larkin tour or any of that sort of stuff around Belfast, but but it is an interesting element of his life, and I think um, for Larkin aficionados, it's yeah. a, it's it's an important time. Um, you know, even though it's it's pre-publication in terms of Marvel Press is fifty-five, is it the yeah? So it's a way. Yeah. You know, it, it's towards his, the tail end of his time in Belfast. But you know, in terms of the the, the preparation and the and the, the seeding of those poems, um, yeah. I think I think the city, our city, needs to you know kind of be aware of that and to to celebrate it as much as it can. Yeah, you know, it's crying out really for a Larkin Walk. We've we, we've 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 actually as a society we've done kind of effectively guide, guided walks mm-hmm. around Larkin places almost everywhere that, that he mm-hmm. lived uh, was associated with. We're doing one in Loughborough. That, mm-hmm. that hasn't been done before. That's coming up next month. But we've never done one in Belfast. And I think it's... Um, when I came here last time, I came in 2013, I looked out all the Larkin places mm-hmm. or tried to. Mm-hmm. There are enough left, I think, for, for, for yeah, a... Yeah, I think you could, you could do it. And I think with a bit more research into, to, into some of the places that he went, some of the jazz yeah. clubs, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, we know where those were. I mean, I did um, did one for Moor last year. Um, now, Moor was born in the north of the city. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his kind of literature is about that. But there's also stuff around the university as well. It, Judith Hearn, Camden Street and, yeah. and things. So uh, it was a hell of a walk. <laughs> it was about three hours all in, I think. Um, but it was really, you know, we sold out every tour and it was a great sort of thing. So I think, yeah, there's definitely space for, for, for Larkin there. So. Mm, mm. Who knows, we might get something coming, an event next year. Because we're very, I mean, I think with Larkin 100, it's not about purely looking back at Larkin's mm. life and achievements. It's about where does he go next? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, yeah. You know, what, what are, what, why is it still, why, why is it still important? Why are Larkin's poems still there? We've got a conference coming up in, in a whole mm. in December, which, uh, can you remind me what it's called, uh, Lynn? I've forgotten that. Um, towards bad habits of uh, bad, bad habits, habits of expectancy. Towards the Larkin two hundred. So we can include Belfast in the next stage. You know, I think what's really exciting mm-hmm. about Tuesday night is what we have got: uh, poets of today, mm-hmm. poets of Belfast, um, who, who've got some kind of um, acknowledgement of, mm-hmm. of Larkin and. Um, yeah. And so they're working in the city. So I am really looking forward to that element of Tuesday night. Thank you so much to Hugh and Phil for this fascinating discussion. I've now got lots of new books on my to-read list and really hope to visit Belfast myself soon. We are now coming to the final weeks of the centenary year, and there are still some great events ahead. If you are able to come to Hull on the 8th and the 9th of December, then why not join us at the university 
for our two-day conference, featuring amazing speakers such as Guardian journalist Rachel Cook and keynote poet and writer Suzanne Conway, as well as local legends James Orwin and Vicky Foster, and podcast guests Sam Perry and Esther Johnson. They will be joined by writers and academics from across the country, exploring many different aspects of Larkin's work. Registration is a modest £35, and that includes light lunches, refreshments, and a drinks reception on the Thursday evening, as well as a chance to have a guided tour around Larkin's library office on the Friday afternoon. All the details are on our website, and surely there can't be a better way to blow away the December cobwebs. We will also be marking the date of Larkin's death with a small ceremony at Westminster Abbey on the 2nd of December with PLS members, trustees and some of our honorary vice presidents in attendance. I'm currently putting together the final podcast of 2022 and it will be a time to reflect on this amazing year and look ahead to some exciting new projects. This podcast was produced by Simon Galloway and the opening music is The Horns of the Morning by The Mechanicals Band. And as ever, if you have any comments or any suggestions, I love hearing from you, so please get in touch. The horns of the morning Are blowing, are shining The meadow is wet With the coldest of you